Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 249. My thanks, as always, to Tea Leaf Tea and Yeasty Boys. This is a conversation with Wellington-based comedian and podcaster Gavin Hewitson. He was born in America. Uh, he's lived in New Zealand for quite some time, and uh, we didn't know each other until the end of last year when a, um, a mutual podcast guest put us in touch with each other. So Gavin's got this podcast called Gavin Learns. Um, it's, it's a fresh podcast. There's a, uh, as you're hearing this, there's probably nearly 30 episodes, 25 to 30 episodes. He puts his podcast up on YouTube so you can watch it, um, records the video of, of two people chatting, and in each episode he's basically trying to learn something new. So he's had uh, different you know, uh, artistic and professional people on there talking about who they are and what they do, as is the way of podcasts. But he's done some really cool things with his podcast. He goes on a date as one episode of his podcast, which is awkward and funny and interesting and uh, and um, yeah so he reached out to me and wanted to catch up and talk about podcasting and we hatched a plan to uh, to do a shared podcast I thought it'd be a cool idea if he recorded me but we didn't just put it up on his podcast I gave you the audio uh, for my podcast uh, what became apparent as we did record that conversation was that really the split wasn't equal and he was talking to me about me and I was being a podcast guest rather than a podcast host so I at the end of it said well you got to come around and do my podcast and, and we'll talk about you and we'll talk more about your podcast and that's what we did I haven't actually seen him perform comedy yet although as you are listening to this he and I might have appeared on the bill somewhere at a fringe festival show by the time you hear this um, so yeah we've, we've struck up a friendship got to know each other talked a bit about podcasting talked a bit about comedy uh, performance and uh, I love his energy and uh, he's got a great story here about um, travel moving to New Zealand uh, you know, moving around within careers and, and fixating on comedy and then getting really in, interested in the podcast medium. So there'll be a link to his podcast with me if you want to check that out. It is a completely different conversation. But if you just want to hear this, this is me talking to Wellington-based podcaster and comedian Gavin Hewitson. Check out his podcast. There'll be a link to that. It's called Gavin Learns. People coming around here and they think... Um, oh, he's been a bit of a cunt to some people in his mm-hmm. reviews. He's just looking for the moment when I say something dumb. Yeah, you dig it. You just think, you know, yeah. and you think like people, you know, and the whole thing with podcasts is they're, a, they're an organic conversation. Uh-huh. But maybe some people thought, oh, you're going to get the bit where I said this and you're going to put that at the front. Yeah, I get I'm it. I'm never going to do that. Well, what's interesting is I don't really know you in the context of all that. Like, I only yeah. know you in the context of hearing about you through Lucy. Yeah, yeah. And that was... Via podcasting. Via yeah. podcasting. And so mm. this is... It's interesting because, like, almost the more you do it and the longer you do it, the more that becomes you according to yeah. a set of people. Yeah, which is know? good. Yeah, yeah like... like in my, in for my me, you're case, a podcaster. Yeah, well, like, that's that's awesome. That means I've arrived. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that's, in a way, because that's what I want to... It's, you know, I'll, I, you, you end up wearing whatever badge you're given. So I quite often get in, introduced as a music reviewer. Yes. And that's absolutely what I have been and sometimes still are. But, I, you know, I'd argue that because I'm really only... I mean, I suppose I talk on radio every now and then, but because I'm really only writing reviews for myself, for my site, I'm a blogger and anyone can do that and you know maybe I've got a little bit more of a following than some people because you know there's history but yeah I I sort of just feel like the term doesn't mean anything anymore Hmm. so podcasting is something that I'm actively doing yeah yeah well but so is podcasting at the same time you know 
Mm. If we just read our... Well, that's true. Podcasting is the new blogging, isn't it? It very it's, much it's, so. It used to be a thing that was done in radio studios by big name people, yeah. you know, Ricky Gervais or whatever, you know, someone like that. Some mm-hmm. they were the they were the people that Mark Maron, Ricky Gervais, Joe Rogan, they were the people that kind of had had a following and got spearheaded pod- it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and got podcasts uh, recognized mm-hmm. and got massive followings. Um, yeah, and, it's just since kind of just yeah. I mean, I don't know. You say you say I do a podcast, you're like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. But then I think is like you delve into a bit more about what you actually do, you know, yeah, and yeah. like you know talk about the guests that you've had and like what episode you're on and like you know how much work you actually put into it. Then it generates a bit more respect, mm. I think. But like mm. in the older, for the most part, like the wholesales, oh yeah, I make like one every few months or you know a couple months or something like that, and just mm. wants to listen can listen. It's just about anything, really. Just about nothing, anything. So we didn't know each other at all until a couple of months ago. Yeah, correct. And since then, we've um, caught up or bumped into each other a, a small handful of times. Yeah. Um, but primarily it has been around podcasting. So you reached out and said, you know, I'm doing this podcast and, you know, my mate Lucy was on your podcast and, you know, I'd like to have a chat. We did that and then uh, you recorded me for your podcast. Mm-hmm. Originally we thought, oh, that'd be cool. We could just do, we can share that. Do a duo one. But actually then we realised, well, actually, you know, you talked to me about me and I talked about myself and now... Now we're going to do the opposite, yeah. which I think is cool. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting to know you also and know a little bit about you, but um, I may ask you some things that I've technically already asked you so yeah. that some people... For the crowds, you know, for the, the for, the, for, for the millions, <laughs> <laughs> for the thousands and thousands streaming in. But um, where'd you grow up? So I was born uh, in Atlanta, Georgia mm. in 1995. And I've got a bit of a weird upbringing when mm. I was about eight years old. I moved to the south of Spain, um, and it's in this... Do you know Malaga? It's on the coast, mm. and it's like an hour inland. I lived in this small village, like 750 people in it. Wow. It's tiny. We lived there for 18 months. I think my parents had like some weird midlife crisis. And, they and just you're went, old enough to have first-hand uh, memories of that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. and a midlife yeah. crisis. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they lived there, and um, it was great. You know, fluent in Spanish. But then at the age of nine, we realized, like, there was just no work, you know, in Spain. So then we moved to New Zealand in 2004 and lived here till I was 18 and then in Wellington. And then April 1st, 2014, I backpacked around South America. I was, like, 18 for, like, three months and then went to the States for a year and then came back to South America and Central America and then back to New Zealand. And then started my uni degree. I did uni for about like two and a half years. And I feel like I needed a break. It was just so much uni. I was just getting, just bogged down. Mm. And plus I was, it was weird. I was living with my parents and it was just, it was good. Cause like I, me and my family get along really, really well. But at the same time, I felt like I was just stuck a tiny bit. So I went to Melbourne, supposed to be three months, met a girl, ended up being like seven months and then came back. Broke up with a girl, finished my degree, and now here I am, just yeah. doing doing stand-up comedy. I found stand-up comedy when I was about 20, 23rd birthday. My 23rd birthday was my first show. Yeah, day after my 23rd birthday. It was my mm. first first time I'd ever did a comedy show. Mm. And I've gradually progressed from doing comedy uh, into doing a podcast. And then that's where you and I first encountered Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I know a tiny bit of that, about that story, but I do want to get into a few other things uh, around that. And I guess, first of all, uh, the midlife crisis 
of your folks. Uh-huh. Is that... Did they resolve that? Is that spoken of? Do people do, you, do people in your family re- talk about the Spain? So I uh, think Saijin? Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. Like m- me with my family, we have a very I think very communicative relationship to mm. a certain degree. And I think my dad's from New Zealand and my mom's from Boston, and they met in Atlanta, Georgia. And I think my dad had this desire to find where's greener next, you know, where's the next best place without ever really being able to fully appreciate where he currently was. Mm -hmm. And that would manifest itself in so many aspects, you know, like, what do I want to do next? Where should we go for dinner? We're at dinner. What should we do next? Let's go, you know, and its biggest manifestation came when we were in the States and things were, you know, objectively really good. But I think my dad had this constant desire to, what's the next best thing? You know, let's, let's do something else. I'm bored. I want to do something different. And I think it comes from, like, a few... And I only know this because I see it so much within myself. But it comes like, a few underlying issues. And then I think a lot of young people do this with the idea of a gap year. They see, like, a lot of underlying issues with themselves mm. and try and remedy those by simply changing location. And... It's, there's definitely a place for moving and traveling and going overseas, but I think when there's a lot of stuff that's like just personality flaws or things that need to be worked on, changing location helps for like a month and then everything just catches up with you again. Mm -hmm. And so I think with my family, my dad particularly, he wanted to move. And so, uh, you know, family stayed as a unit and so we all moved to Spain. And when we first got, it was a huge culture culture shift and lifestyle mm. shift because you know Atlanta's a massive city it's one of the biggest cities in the states huge I think the state of Georgia has about 9 million people and then I think Atlanta and its cities around it uh, and don't quote me on this but mm. I think it's about 6 million people mm-hmm. so it's huge so it's bigger than New Zealand or yeah, exactly yeah yeah, yeah. It's, and it's so dense and like uh, well it's actually quite spread out actually but it's just like as far as like the culture and the, the variability in people is so dense and rich but then we came to the Spain and uh, where it's hot, you mm. know, and it's, we get there, 750 people in this village. Yeah, you didn't move to, you know... Dubai or a, New a York. A big city in Spain. No, Barcelona or, or, or a big city like that. anywhere. That's right. Like, you just... Tiny. You, tiny. You could have been anywhere. Could have been Which anywhere. I guess was the point. Like, well, I the think, same point. I think yeah. it was like a drastic change, you mm. know, for my dad. Because mm. my dad had been traveling when he was younger his whole life. Mm. So it was just a radical change. And so... So it wasn't quite a pin in the map, but it wasn't far off it. Yeah. You know? I think my dad found this place, because my dad's like a big runner. He does like ultra marathons, like big, big, you know, wow. like 300K races. Yeah. And he had a running buddy who was living in Spain at the time. And I think the idea was to go to Spain and organize like a running company with his yeah. buddy. It didn't work out in the end. But we get to this village, and people don't realize this, but I think like... Uh, Spain was still a, you know, developing nation in the 80s. You know, it was still under a dictator, Mm, mm, you know? mm. And, like, it was under Franco, and a lot of the women in the village, you know, couldn't read, couldn't write, because Franco had outlawed, uh, you know, uh, education for women. And there was still a lot of deep-rooted cultural differences within the people themselves. Like, the village that we lived in, they would be warring with other villages, just based around the mm. political ideologies of, like, Franco. Mm. And so, 
we were there 18 months and um yeah i think the the lack of work and just the lifestyle as well it was very very different and it was a bit much i think good to grow up in because like the kids had free reign in these tiny villages and you could just do whatever you want you know play mm. tag in the whole village it was so much fun but getting older i think we just wouldn't have been exposed to the things that I, looking back now, would want to have been exposed to. Yeah, so you kind of have a bit of a, a stop-start childhood, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. There are three phases to it. Well, Very there, much. There are two phases to it with this little interlude. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I look at it as three. Mm-hmm. I, I, feel mm-hmm. like I look at it as three different phases. Yeah, yeah. Three places, three phases, mm-hmm. three uniquely... Distinct the, Yeah, cultures experiences. and experiences. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't fully figured out how that's played out in me. Yeah. Per se. Because, you know, I was going to ask you, you know, what, you know, you, you sort of find comedy as a performer when you're 23. What, um, you know, what are you into as a kid that you can either now look back and go, well, that's, you know, those are stepping stones towards that. Mm-hmm. Or, or just in general, like, how are you filling your time outside of this this travel yeah. that, that's arguably forced on you? Well, you know, when I say forced on you, you're going with it. Well, yeah, it was, yeah. 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 I think looking back now and what led me into comedy, it would be a desire to fit in because of constant changing environments. Mm, mm. You, know, you, you need to, you know, what's your in, you know? Um, and my dad, like my dad and I exhibit so many similar or exhibited so many mm. similar personality traits, you know, when it comes to using humor as a way to, to fit into a group, you know, as a way to start conversations, you know, be liked. And I think that is where comedy, my sense of humor, derived itself from. Now, whether or not that translated strictly into stand-up comedy, like, yeah, I've always been funny, but never, I always never, I never saw myself doing stand-up comedy. I never saw it. And mm. then I went to an open mic in Wellington once. My buddy went to an open mic actually, and he was saying, like, it was terrible you know, we should just go for a laugh. It was just insane. It's just so rogue. Let's just Mm. check it out. So we went, and then uh, he was like, you can do this. You 100% can do this. And I never really considered myself, like, funny enough to get on stage, but then I was like, all right, I'll do it. He goes, no, you won't. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Emailed, booked in, and two months down the road, you know, I booked a place in for two months down the road, not thinking about it. And Jerome, the guy who mm, runs the Humorous mm, Arts Trust here mm. in Wellington, said, hey, you know, we got you on, just confirming. And I was so close to just being like, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to bail. Yeah. I'm going to bail. And I stuck through it. I brought a bunch of friends. Probably the best thing I did, actually, bringing a bunch of friends, because I was so nervous and it was so good for my confidence. Yeah. Because I didn't do great, but I did well. And I had a good audience there to just be like, yeah, you know, They're on your job. side. They wanted you to Big succeed. T- exactly. Yeah, yeah. And just having that support. Yeah. Um, and I did it again the second time. Well, in the third time, worst set of my life. Yeah. Now, we talked briefly about that on your um, podcast because I was interested in that. I'm always interested in that with with not just comedians, any kind of performer. Mm. You know, I mean, I've, you know, I do my um, spoken word stuff, my poetry readings and open mics and, and I know that I can do a good job of it, but I also know that sometimes I'm going to bomb, mm-hmm. and you you can just feel it sometimes in the room before you go up. You just think my stuff is not for yeah. these people, and then you can be pleasantly surprised 
So there are just all these different variations of it, which is why it's always interesting. Mm -hmm. But comedy is the one we think of, I think, when we think about someone bombing. Bombing. Because it's just you. It's just you. Mm -hmm. Because when it's me with my words, even if I bomb, I'm bombing because of the material that I'm presenting, which is a poem, Mm -hmm. which even if it's autobiographical, it's sort of seen as different I think to a comedy act where comedy even even though some comedians play a persona mm-hmm. there's just something unique about a comedian speaking mm. and bombing you know versus a singer songwriter or a band you know I mean, I've been in, on stage in a band and knowing that we aren't going that well uh-huh. but I'm one of a handful of people and I have my drum kit around me, so that's a piece of armour. Yeah, that sure. maybe That maybe the front person absolutely does not have. Yeah, plus you're probably in yeah. the back as well, Yeah, right? totally. So, yeah. And people haven't come to see me. I'm just a component. Uh-huh. You know, I'm totally just a component in the sound. But I still know what it's like to bomb. Mm-hmm. And I always felt that that was a useful piece of people might not. <laughs> people might laugh at this and not think this was ever demonstrated. But I always thought that was a pretty useful piece of... Um, gathered empathy for reviewing that I did know what it's like to fail on stage so when I wrote savagely about people failing on stage it was with some understanding some understanding some personal experience yeah you know you take no joy from it but you see it happen and I saw some international acts that were so bad Mm -hmm. that you thought it was like glorified karaoke and (laughs) you know how the fuck did these guys charge what they charge and you can almost laugh like it almost becomes a form of a comedy act yeah a parody uh, of an actual musical so you had two pretty good runs I had two for a a novice a complete beginner yeah and you had you know you stacked the audience the first time third time I didn't stack the audience right so uh, do you think it was that simple I think I was, so I think it was a few components, but first of all, I want to say what blew me away about poetry is how similar it is to stand-up comedy, but how completely different yeah. it is as well. Yeah, totally. It's no music. Yes, it does have that nakedness yeah. about, it's just you and the microphone and, and just your spoken material. Word. And, yeah. and yet the content and its meanings behind it and its intention are so different from stand-up mm. comedy. Very mm. interesting. But yeah, the third time... That I that I still haven't fully figured out what I what I've taken away from poetry, but like mm. the third time I did stand up comedy was at the Cavern Club, which is on Blair Street. Yeah, so a new yeah. venue, underground, wasn't that busy. I remember the MC was Paul Paul Douglas, oh, yeah. a com- yeah. comedian from Auckland, and I was so nervous. I got up there, I told a few jokes, and I think I've got a very cr- I'm very critical of my stand up mm. and. I feel like if I'm not getting like big laughs, big laughs, I get a few chuckles, I just go, oh, Jesus Christ. And so I got to like this, you know, two minute mark and it was just all compounding. And I started stumbling over my words, getting more and more nervous. Like I'm not doing well, I'm not doing well. And you keep telling yourself that Mm. and you're just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then uh, at the three minute mark, I went, hey, you know what? I'm done. Fuck this. Fuck this. I'm out of here. And I fucked off. 
said, see you later. Yeah. And I sat back down on the crowd. <laughs> yeah, that's awkward. That was really rough. It was so rough. It's great, it just, though. Mm. I mean, I love those stories of, uh, you know, there are people like Larry David's got, mm. inf- there are infamous stories about him basically walking out, doing a line, and then looking at the crowd and going, you people are too dumb for me, I'm not doing this, I'm walking <laughs> off. But, you know, I don't imagine he then went and sat in the audience. No. I imagine no. he got, he walked that out the back door. And, I imagine he walked out the back door and left you drove know. Off. yeah drove off or got a cab heard yeah. this funny story uh you know norm mcdonald the mm, mm. so he would do shows and he said if he killed he would just go up to the green room chill out at the end of his show and not do anything but if he bombed and if he did horribly at the end of the show he would go to the exit doors and when everyone would walk out he'd shake their <laughs> hand like, yeah thank you for coming yeah thank yeah, you amazing thank you thank you <laughs> And he'd smile. Yeah, yeah. That's a very Norm Macdonald thing to do, though. Like he yeah. is such a unique. Yeah. Per- I've never met him, obviously, but like, just his character as a whole is just lends itself so yeah. well to comedy. Yeah. I, yeah. I yeah. would love to meet him. I would love. Yeah, to meet him. he's an intriguing uh, specimen. Yeah. I've, I've got more and more into his uh, stuff over the last few years. Actually, he's like, got a good he, show. Yeah. Well, um, I wouldn't say good. I'd say he's got a show. No, I like, I like what he's about. You mm-hmm. know, like, and I love the fact that he's. You watch those, you know, supercuts on YouTube of him doing talk show appearances mm-hmm. and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and it's like sometimes he totally misses, even for his style. Mm-hmm. Which is great because it means he's always trying. Yeah, you know he's mm-hmm. throwing stuff out, and, and and it's interesting, isn't it? Comedy. I guess we could get into this for ages, but it's a tricky time for comedy because, uh, well, for me anyway, I grew up with um, a bunch of people that just well, some of them are getting cancelled, mm-hmm. but they just wouldn't get a run now. With mm-hmm. the, you know, they wouldn't have that chance to be that fearless. But in saying that, that doesn't mean that comedy today is not fearless it's just a it's just there's been a massive shift there's a yeah a shift in discussion topics mm, as mm. well i think a lot of people conflate the limiting of what we can say on stage with low quality comedy yeah you know where some of these jokes you hear and it's like okay yeah you're talking about someone being gay which i think you sh- should you should be allowed to do i wouldn't do it i wouldn't yeah. make a joke about it just because I don't think I could pull it off in a smart way, nor do I think that most of the people who do it go terribly and then blame the audience and society can either. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a smart way that you can deliver these things and you can make intelligent points. I'm nowhere near that. I can't do that yet. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And one day I would like to be able to actually have intelligent opinions about certain subject matter and be able to deliver them in a funny... I don't even think I have intelligent opinions about things as it is at the moment. Like, I haven't fully formulated how I how I feel about, um, you know, uh, cancel culture mm-hmm. and, and stuff. I, I don't know. No. Nor would I even try and take a stab at it on stage, you know? I mean, I've got, like, this one joke where I'm saying, you know, like, you can't, you can't even say fucking idiot anymore. And this is, what, once again, like, this is one of my first jokes that came out. Because everyone, in the, when they're doing comedy for the first time, takes a stab at the big topic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I have this, have had, sometimes use it, where I have a joke where it's like, you know, you can't even say something as simple as fucking idiot anymore. Because then you're going to get someone who's like, hey, whoa, 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 I identify as a fucking idiot, you know, and you can't say that. Yeah, yeah. But there's an intelligent way to break 
down those topics. And I do think we're swinging the other way, you know? I really do think yeah. we're... Maybe not so much in New Zealand, but I think in the States, it's swinging back a tiny bit. And I think we will eventually follow suit. Um, well, you came to New Zealand and grew up in New Zealand and moved into a an actual comedy industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and we talked a little bit about this on your podcast, but when I was reviewing comedy, it's, um, you know, no disrespect to the comedians that were out there doing, but it's, it's almost... Um, fair to argue that there actually really wasn't a comedy industry they had a they had an annual comedy festival Mm -hmm. and what they did in between time you know apart from their day jobs i don't know Mm -hmm. like there was this comedy club in auckland Mm -hmm. um and so auckland comics had a venue Mm -hmm. but a lot of the wellington ones didn't you know they didn't have weekly open mics Mm -hmm. they didn't have opportunities to um, to do anything there wasn't you know uh, things to aspire to, like seven days, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that, which has, you know, been obviously really good for, for comedy in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. It's not a show I particularly have any fondness for, just because I don't watch it. Mm-hmm. But I recognise its its importance. One of the criticisms I hear quite common from Auckland-based comics to Wellington, mm. not comics, but the comedy scene, mm. is that there isn't much of a progression ladder or an established ladder in which you can progress and i don't i don't know if it's any individual's fault that's the case i think it's the fault that the fact that we lack a robust industry in wellington and a Mm. venue or structure that is built up around that like within auckland right yeah you have your open mics yeah and then you have the classic yeah um, amongst other shows as well but you have the classic and the classic has a hierarchy of yes. nights that you can actively progress through mm. and you know where you sit uh you have scott who takes care of you who sees what you're doing yeah. and, you know, puts you on increasingly better nights. You know, you, you do like a big Wednesday, which is a step up from the open mic. And then eventually you get to emceeing like a late show or, or the pro night. And then you progress uh, through the TV. Yeah. Here in Wellington, I would say we, we cap out at emceeing, which is totally understandable. And it's like a huge job for those who are organizing the Wellington comedy scene. I couldn't do it. I, there's no way I could do it. And so, um, but like, the lack of a venue, like a club, like a comedy, mm. dedicated comedy mm. club with like a, a structure of nights and stuff like that, I think kind of creates a bit of a, um, a, a, a loose system where mm. it is harder for people to develop. Yeah, no, totally. But also you at least have, at least we have some things, which as I say, just were not there. Yeah, so yeah. And it's very easy to yeah. forget that, you know, yeah. cause there's, you do need to be grateful for like what is currently here it's so much more robust than it was mm-hmm. is, is really all i kind of mm. wanted to say and can observe did you remember vk's yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i went there a few times and thought it was really good mm-hmm. but i could tell the writing was on the wall like, yeah just, what do you think it was oh just you know we we are a, we're a culture where places succeed if you buy booze mm-hmm. and um you know the problem you have with things like comedy and any open mic thing, like so it happens at the poetry things I go to and it happens at singer-songwriter nights, which I've been to as a, not as a performer, but uh, watching, and, and, and small gigs in general, is you, yeah, everyone stacks the audience with their friends, if they can, which mm-hmm. is a good move. 
but the friends go and they've either paid 10 bucks to get in or they've asked to be on the door mm-hmm. and whatever the situation is they have money for one drink you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so mm-hmm. you used to go like you used to be able to see the best jazz players in Wellington play on a Sunday night at Lido for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And you'd all sit, see, you'd, you'd go to a table and there'd be six students all sitting on the same latte bowl, mm-hmm. you know, you yeah. know, like sipping from different sides of it. Of and that was their contribution to the evening because they were there to watch their tutors and they were broke students mm-hmm. and their tutors were world-class musicians and they were loving it. But, you know... The venue can't support The venue that. can't live on a single bowl of fries, you know. <laughs> so yeah. that and and mm-hmm. that was palpable to me as soon as I walked into VK's. It was just like, okay, so they've got this makeshift bar. It's cheap, but it's got booze. Mm-hmm. It's got everything. You could have a whiskey here or a beer or a wine. It's got the stuff. But, uh, you know, people just weren't going to... Spend. Spend. Enough. Just weren't going to spend. And then you had a guy, and, you know, bless him for trying, but you had a guy running a venue who was a comic. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, he was doing it in a promotional capacity. As much as he was doing it for comedy, he was doing it for himself. Mm-hmm. There was that component to it. And I don't think he was a particularly great comic. And the times I saw him get up and perform at his own club as part of an international act, I thought, well, this is the ultimate indulgence. You wouldn't be allowed to open for this person were this not your club which is a bad scene and a bad look, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. So, you know, I, I think, good on him for trying. And I loved the look and feel of the place. And I saw a couple of extraordinary shows there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. It just she was before my work. time. Like, I missed, I missed it all. Yeah, yeah. It was, what, 2014 that place it Sounds opened? about right, yeah. Yeah, and see, yeah. I was away, 2014, yeah. 2015, and I heard yeah. it was only open for like a year. Yeah, I'd say the 18 months, I reckon, maybe. Yeah, then, 15 months, something like that. Yeah, I just missed the boat. But they had some international acts there. They had some good international sure. acts. Um, just trying to think of that guy's name. Joe wrote for Parks and Rec. He was fucking incredible. Oh, oh. Uh, and his name will come to me as soon as we Which stop recording. Yeah, um, yeah. But shit, he's good. I mean, yeah. he's, a, uh, he's a big deal guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a Netflix special that's excellent. Yeah, um, we need more. There's, you there's... Know, but you, you know, now you're fighting all sorts of things. Sure. So it's sure. a different world. You know, I was. You know, when you were talking about it, it's like, well, there's never going to be another de- dedicated comedy club in Wellington because not only have you, you know you got COVID problem, travel problems, mm-hmm. um, but also you know comedy's shifting too. Where because of that, you know, there are comics in America that are actually doing their set on chat rooms. You mm-hmm. know, Zoom and I don't know if that's going to ever usurp or t- I don't think it will either mm-hmm. but the fact that that shift has had to have been made mm-hmm. means someone coming out in the paper tomorrow and saying you know I'm opening a dedicated comedy club yeah. in Wellington you just got people going well there's the real laughs you know that's not, that's not going to last yeah I think if the moment travel kind of loosens up a tiny bit if you can get those international acts mm-hmm. to come through mm-hmm. but it's such a hard balance to strike because the bigger acts are just going to go to the opera house, you know, of course. or just yeah. go somewhere where they can really yeah, sell out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, like with like with, you know Bill Bailey's coming. Sure. And, uh, Russell was, Howard. Russell Howard just just came, and mm-hmm. they did you know obviously did their quarantine and doing their quarantine, but yeah, Russell Howard's just going to do the big show. Sure. And he, yeah. I think he did a couple of nights in Auckland. 
But um, you, you imagine that you come to New Zealand, you're the only international comedian really to come through. You're just instant, guaranteed. You know, yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I remember when um, it wasn't doesn't feel like that long ago. I mean, it's 20 years ago and 25 years ago, so it is ages. But I can remember when in Wellington we did only get one or two mm-hmm. international comics a year. Yeah, I can remember paying money the day the day the tickets were announced to go and see people like Billy Connolly and, yeah. and Ben Elton, you know, absolute mm-hmm. legends. Mm-hmm. And that was it. You know, the com- the comedy festival didn't yet exist, and when it did, it didn't really hit Wellington, and international names didn't come here. Yeah, and of course. If, yeah, and if, so you'd, you'd go to these big shows, go and see someone like Ben Elton perform to 3,000 people. Yeah. And it was amazing, and, and, and you were invested in it, you know, mm-hmm. like literally. You'd paid a lot of money to go to it. Of course. And course. it was your only chance. So, of course, you're, I'm not saying he's not good, but mm-hmm. of course, you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, you want to see a good comedy show? Yeah! And. You know. And unfortunately for the local comics then, someone, through probably drawing straws, had to go on and do five minutes ahead of him. Yeah. And... That'd be such a treat, though. I would love that. Well, totally, but it didn't feel like it ever went down that way. You just had a bunch of people that go to one comedy show a year going, who's this nobody I'm never going to see again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What an awful scenario. Yeah, fair, fair. And it's so hard to garner an audience. You know, I paid for a babysitter in a car park. This This is just... Eating into my budget. That's how people approach this shit. Yeah. Not, I'd love to give this young person a chance. Maybe mm-hmm. they'll say some universal truth, or if not that, then just something that's fucking funny. They're there to see so-and-so. But they're mm-hmm. there for that. And I think that still exists in a lot of the... You know, I think we've got a lot better at that with, the. you know, like you go to the Fringe Bar and watch five or six comics perform with an MC, and mm-hmm. you know you're getting a... A feature comic at the end of it but mm-hmm. these people are getting up and they're having their time mm-hmm. and you sit through it and some are better than others but you go there for the evening that's nice but and so we've come a long way actually when you think about that because mm-hmm. um I, I still think a lot of new zealand i mean I, and i equate this particularly with music a lot of people don't want to give the opening act a chance yeah don't. i think that a big attraction to a lot of the open mics is the bomb <laughs> yeah, like, I don't. I think there's a for me at least when I was first starting out, I <laughs> like just the horrible bombing was sometimes more attractive than somebody knocking it out of the park because mm. it was just a spectacle. Well, it's memorable. Yeah, yeah totally. memorable, memorable. Totally. But in saying that though, like I don't really remember any like when I think comedy, I, the first thing that comes to mind isn't people who just like eating shit on stage. It's people who've done like really really well. Yeah. And I, I think that's a big hurdle that a lot of comedians have to get up is like when, when they bomb, it's like no one's really, no one's really going to remember you for bombing, you know? I mm. just don't, I don't think the audience retains that that much. A big thing that I struggle with is feeling like I've done the same material in front of the same audience. I really hate that. Yeah. I hate doing that. That's such a gross, I get grossed out by it. And it makes, yeah. that's probably the biggest thing that I struggle with is when I get up on stage and if like half the audience have heard my jokes and it just sucks the life out of my Well then again, you know, they probably have in Wellington because half the of audience course. half the audience is your fellow comics. <laughs> exactly. And that's like I remember I was doing this one gig. Ah, oh, dude, I've I've had some bad gigs. But I, I was doing this one. I'm not going to say the place. Mm. But I was doing this one gig. Just say VKs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, before my time went to VKs. And uh, no, I was doing this gig and it was just like Half the no, no, ninety five percent of the people were comedians, mm. and they'd all heard my jokes, 
And I was just like, what, what's the point? Like, what mm, am I doing here? Like, mm. I'm not really getting anything. The best thing to do there would have been just do crowd work, you know? Yeah, yeah, shit. yeah, yeah. But with that, I was just like, what What the hell is this? So what do you, you know, it's a kind of a nerdy question, I suppose, but, like, what do you study with comedy now? Like, mm. what you know, what do you look, what do you, what do you watch, and what do you listen to, and what do you read, or whatever that... That makes my comedy better. Yeah, or that, or that you want to aspire to, or whatever. That's a good yeah. question, man. I don't. I, I want to be like a professional entertainer. Mm. I don't. I don't say comics. I want to be multidisciplinary. I really love stand-up comedy. Mm. And I think that'll be my bread and butter. But I love. I mean, it's probably vain, but you know, I, I love the the. I love of making people laugh. You know, and I love making people happy and I think whenever medium I can do that in you know whether it be my podcast mm. uh, Gavin Learns check that out uh, or it be my stand-up comedy mm. I really don't I'm, I'm not I'm not that fussed but what do, what what do I refine my craft there's this really good guy on YouTube that I've actually really been getting into recently he, he, he can, his actual name he has his name on YouTube called The Joke Doctor and he's a 25 year you know professional mm. comic mm. and he He's very methodical and analytical in his approach to comedy. Like, you know, he talks about incongruencies, uh, anomalies, everything that you can possibly think of what goes into writing a joke. And I've only now after... I think I've been doing comedy now, coming on... This will be my third year now. Um, but properly, since like a year and a half, come up like I would say like consistently two, mm. getting up on stage two to three times a week. And I'd want to be doing more, but I, this is the capacity for it. Yeah. It's not quite there. Yeah. Um, but it's only been now where I've really started taking a bit more of an analytical approach to my jokes. And um, that's what kind of inspires me. The comedians, I think a big attraction as well is just having a fun community. I really enjoy being part mm. of a community and it takes a long time to get that. And comedians, myself included, are mostly just fucked. You know, mm -hmm. just fucking weird, mm. you know, out there group of people. Um, but, you know... That is kind of your tribe. Well, what was that? I think I said to you last time we chatted, um, that line I just heard on one of Mark Maron's podcasts, some, some guest said to him that uh, comedy was, the reason people got into comedy was to control how people laughed at them. Ah, which I think yeah, is, I yeah, that. which I think is a great, you know, overall that's a great line. Like, I think a it's great, a great line. Great understanding. Absolutely. I totally agree. Because if you have the control, then people aren't laughing at you; they're mm -hmm. laughing with you. What a great, uh, what a great point. Yeah, I sometimes wonder if stand-up comedy is healthy for the individual. I really wonder that. Like, mm. if because if you think put on paper, getting up on stage and making people laugh and trying to get them to validate you is just not. Yeah, it's not a recipe for um, a, growth or self-development right. or a healthy sense of self. And I guess if you look at the the you know superstars of comedy that have uh, done it very well um generally they have moved out of it yes or taken massive you know so like i saw yeah. i saw ben elton do stand-up mm. in something like 1997 and then he came back to new zealand and it was his first tour mm -hmm. and it was something like 2006 
Yeah. You know, and he just, because, I mean, he's a different case because he's a successful novelist and TV writer and I think by that point he'd done musicals and, you know, and a lot of people had, had, you know, he'd had his backlash because he had, you know, been this legend that had created, you know, been part of the creation of alternative comedies, created the young ones and blah, blah, blah. And then there he was writing musicals about Queen and, and hanging out with the actual Queen. So mm-hmm. there were punks in the UK that thought he was the ultimate fucking sellout. Yeah. Um, sure. And I'm sure he cried into a giant mattress stuffed with, you know, money. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, something in him still drew him back to wanting to connect with an audience. But mm-hmm. he was able to pick and choose when he did it. Yeah, I mean, And then I guess the American example of that is someone like Steve Martin, who sure. was a superstar of comedy, playing mm-hmm. to these enormous... You know, Eddie 12, Murphy? Yeah, and Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. But, but Steve Martin played to like 12,000 people mm-hmm. and then got into movies. And then Robin got, Williams. And then got into writing. Robin mm-hmm. Williams, yeah. and But they but they all go back to it. So there's this yes. desire to... So Robin Williams is a great example of it clearly mm-hmm. not, not working out for his happiness. No, and I think uh, but Jim he, was Carrey. This, yeah. Jim Carrey, the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, a lot of these people... Jim Carrey seems to me to be someone who, in terms of the stand-up thing, um, has probably worked out mm-hmm. that it's best not to do it. Because I, I, I don't see him returning to that anytime soon. And so he still does these wonderful characters in movies and he can be very funny. But, you know, you know particularly in the last few years, you listen to the, the, the sort of... Um, growth that he's had and that he's that he's still working through mm-hmm. and i haven't read his book yet but i plan to read it but uh you know i heard him interviewed a lot about it i mean he's he's a, a guy that's got an interesting handle on where he's been and mm-hmm. he has that great line about um recognizing that uh there was a problem not just with his fame but with the world when he was standing at the grand canyon and people were turning around and taking photos of him. Right, right. You know? Right. It was like, well, why don't you take a photo of the view? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but people mm-hmm. were more interested in the fact, and it was, it was like, that was his moment of like, shit, I've got to change things. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not right. You know? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one. I do think there is a healthy balance with, you know, I, I, I never see myself stopping. I, I really mm. do love mm. doing it. And like, and the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, oh, I can't want to get on stage. You know, I want to get on stage. But I love, I love growing things, just things. Mm. You know, I love building things and, and, and making it. And right now my focus is, you know, my career as mm. an entertainer. And once again, if that manifests itself in stand-up comedy or my podcast at the moment, those are my two focuses. Well, let's talk about the podcast. Mm. So, you know, I, uh, in the same way that you became aware of my podcast, I became of yours the same way. You contacted mm. me and said someone, you know, I'm doing this podcast, someone said to reach out. So I started listening to your podcast, which is much newer than mine. Mm. Um, but you're doing a pretty cool thing with it. It's called Gavin Learns. You put yours up on YouTube. Mm. It, you can, people can just listen to it as well. Mm-hmm. But you actually put the video up of the people uh, having the chat. Mm-hmm. And it is a one uh, similar to this in the sense that it's a... And similar to many podcasts in the sense yes. that it's a, a, a one-to-one chat usually. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have that video component, which a lot of podcasts have now. And tell me about the the title and the kind of hook of it. What are, yeah. you, try, what are you trying to do? You know, when I first started it, I didn't really know what I was trying to get into. But I think I just... 
as I do more and more of the podcasts, I feel like I need to niche down a tiny bit more. But at the moment, the whole purpose was for it to educate me about certain topics that I was just had a slight interest in mm. or I thought were somewhat taboo. Um, and so, for example, I've interviewed people ranging from, you know, sex workers to psychologists all the way to police officers. Um, I have some cool guests coming on soon as well, actually. Um, and it sounds so generic, and really it is, but it's, I guess, somewhere to Joe Rogan, you know? Yeah. But that was my favorite podcast at the time, and I think I just wanted to emulate that. Mm. Um, and to a certain degree, I still kind of do. But, yeah, I, I record it in its audio form, chuck it up on all the podcast directories, and then I also chuck it up onto YouTube. And what I've started experimenting with a bit more now is cutting up the videos into clips, smaller, smaller mm. clips, and chucking those up as well, trying to garner a bit more of an audience and a following that way. Uh, but yeah, I think the podcast, I do just enjoy, I've had some really cool conversations mm. and just like, I think I'm trying to get to a point now with that where, and once again, I'm still kind of new with it. I've only done like a 20, no, 32 episodes so far. Only 28 have come out yet, but mm. I think I'm getting to a point now where I do want to start niching down as far as the topic. I mean, with yours, it's kind of like, uh, artists, yeah, correct. Generally, yeah. generally, I'd, I'm interested in talking to um, people that are involved in, in involved in creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't like I don't personally don't like using the word they're a creative. Right, and then also artists isn't quite right because I've talked to some people that have arguably not put anything out into the world as an artist, but they're still involved in creativity in the scene in yeah. the se- in some way. And um, yeah, I mean, I've talked to a couple of people that. You know, um, I talked to a, a mental health expert who, you know, it, I didn't know this until I met her, but it just so happened that she had this whole background as a performer. Yeah, right, that, right. So, so that's where it's cool, like, because I didn't know that. I mean, I knew that a few mo- moments before she came in the door with some mm. last-minute research, of course, but I didn't realise the extent of it. So she was able to speak, mm-hmm. again, directly to, you know, when we're talking to people that are performers. Yeah, perform- that commonality. Yeah. That are performers that have fluctuating mental health. You know, sure. she had she had been there. Yeah. You know. I think... Yeah, and which which is which is great. You have that consistent yeah. strain. I think with mine, like, if you tell me a topic and for some reason there's some part of me that's like, oh yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Mm. I, I get into it. Like, I've got a guest coming on. You know, the know your stuff. Yeah, people yeah. For the yeah. Drug, free drug testing with the New Zealand, mm. recently the bill passed. I'm gonna have a representative of them come on soon because I find that like an interesting story. I just think yeah. it's a story that's very interesting and and, and, and should be shared. Mm. Um, and then I've got, you know, somebody coming on, who the, the CEO of Adult Toy Mega Store, you know, yeah, which yeah, would be yeah. really fun. I'm kind of yeah. fascinated by that. And New Zealand's crypto cryptocurrency exchange, you got them coming on soon. And so it's just these interesting, like if I were at a party and I wanted to talk to, if, if somebody had a unique perspective or a unique background, that's who I would go for. Mm. You know, like if I'm at a party, it's like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I just do, you know, so-and-so accounting. Nothing wrong with accounting, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, just very generic. But, ah, okay, yeah, cool. I'm not going to have, you know, mm. I wouldn't. But if you told me, you know, uh, well, you know, I recently, this is another, hopefully somebody that I have on the podcast, uh, you know, well, I've recently just, you know, I'm a campaigner against gay conversion therapy. I'm like, okay, why is that? Well, I went through conversion therapy when I was younger. That, to me, I'm like, holy crap, tell me more about mm, that. Mm. And so that's the stuff that I want to find out. Yeah, I mean, your podcast, I mean, hopefully mine does too a little bit, but and, and many others, but your podcast, to me, speaks directly to this thing that people are fucking fascinating. Yes. And that you're, 
and you're very good as a podcast host at being interested in that. Yeah, I'm you know? trying. What, yeah. what, what do you do when you're... Because you're, you're an excellent guest when I had on my podcast because I could just mention a topic and you just go, mm-hmm. you know? But I've been trying to experiment with ways to like dig a bit deeper and come at things with like interesting angles as far as questions. Yeah. What what do you do when you're doing that? Are you, do you have like a strategy that you're doing? No, you just, you just, no. You just let it happen. I just let it happen. I mean, I don't have a strategy for life. Yeah, uh, which is really a big problem. Um, <laughs> but but you know, I think I don't know. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who have interviewed people themselves, and uh, you know, as as we've had a couple of conversations about this, it's always interesting to hear how people do it. But mm. you know, there was a there's a music writer in Australia. Uh, who's a friend of mine who's who's fantastic, a guy called Stuart Coop, and he was, I think, the fifth episode of this podcast, so it was way back. It was the first international guest. I was on holiday in Aussie, and I hit him up. And, uh, you know, he's written biographies of famous people. He's done all sorts. He's managed artists. He's, you know, ran record labels. And he has the most insane stories. Like, mm-hmm. he was flown to Paris to interview Mick Jagger. Right. And Mick Jagger decided he wanted to leave the hotel so he just told Stuart he could sleep the night in the penthouse apartment because Jagger left so he drank a fridge full of booze and (laughs) the the Rolling Stones paid for it so he's you know he's on that he had been on that level and recognises the absurdity of it of course yeah Um, but I was asking him and he said you know when I'm interviewing a person like that or or whoever you know I'm actually not really interested in, in Questions. I'm interested in looking around the room and seeing, you know, where they are and mm. and getting clues from that, which I found really interesting. You know, you you'll look at someone's. You know, we're in my house doing this podcast, which is often the way. Although I do sometimes go to people's places, but you know, when you're in someone's house, you look at the records that they have, or the books, or or what they've chosen to have on display, mm-hmm. and that can trigger things. You know, in in a in a conversational sense. I mean, mm-hmm. so I'm a big one for that. I mean, I'm one of those embarrassing people when I go to someone's house um, they say do you want to have a look around and I say no no thanks you know I'll, I'll have a look when I go to the loo right. and that's because I'm standing in front of a wall of their books and I'm more you know that's that's telling me what I need to know about the house sure. and the person and or, or maybe they've got an old school wall of DVDs yeah just books shelves whatever dust cupboards yeah, what if, whatever they've got yeah is actually way more interesting to me than the fact that they've got a second bathroom. Mm-hmm. I, don't, sure. I only care about that if I really need to go and someone's in the first one. You know? <laughs> Otherwise, I don't need to know. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like that. I, I really got what he was saying. I thought, well, actually, I've been doing that too without even realising it. That, mm-hmm. That's where you sort of take your cues from. Yeah. Uh, and I, the other thing that, that reminded me of that that I thought was amazing was another famous, really famous music writer, Sylvie Simmons, she wrote this amazing piece years ago for um, Uncut about Lou Reed and what an asshole Lou Reed was. And she went to his, um, his his office and she looked at, he had this big, you know, thing, a bookshelf, and she noticed that he had John Cale's biography, who was his former bandmate, and they mm-hmm. had fallen out. And she noticed that it was up on the corner of the bookshelf, you know, sh- shrink-wrapped, huh. you know, like... And he claimed to, you know, know nothing about it, but he had it there. Right. And he'd obviously sent someone out to get it for him kind of thing. So she, That's I don't think weird. she, yeah, but she, that found its way into the story mm-hmm. because, because, because she was observant enough to spot that. 
it's an interesting and that's a point. really interesting that's a very interesting that's point a, actually a really great detail about him that another writer would have missed mm. another interviewer would have just sat there with their pad of questions mm-hmm. so what's the new album about you yeah. know, what inspired you to do it and those things are very boring you know they're necessary for a while yeah and that's how you learn your your craft mm-hmm. but you know I've found over the years now I'll go into phone interviews which I don't like doing that often anymore but I'll go into phone interviews with an empty pad and I'll usually have the best conversations when I've got an empty pad which means as I'm talking to the person I can make notes to myself and think, fuck, okay, remember to ask this. They've just brought that up. Because there's no visual cues. Yeah, that's, which is very so, good. Like in a yeah. podcast, if you're like straight there, it's like, what are you writing down? I'm still, yeah, I, I'm still trying to strike the balance between being very informed about the individual and going mm. in with no questions mm. or trying to approach the topics that I am engaging with as a somewhat informed person. But I think that at the same time, if you come in as too informed, you kind of close off the yeah. gaps between... Uh, the audience and themselves but at the same time I think they want to hear unique angles that the everyday person perhaps can't come up with well I think the podcast in general has opened that up for people too because the the podcast arguably is just a giant big circuit like you listen to the celebrity podcasters or the you know the the people that have uh, developed a name through podcasting A-list and B-list celebrities and when they've got a new you know product out you'll hear the same person on four or five podcasts within a few weeks. Mm, mm-hmm. But you, if you're really interested in them, you'll hear different conversations if, you know, because, because the podcaster is good at getting yes, the a host different is, angle. Yeah, the host getting is different things out. Getting a different angle. And the host is aware, oh, I'm, I'm lucky to be talking to Nicole Kidman, but at the same time, I realised she just spoke to, you know, blah, 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 yesterday or yeah. last week. She's just told me that. So how am I going to ask different things? And, 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 We've got interested in, as listeners, we've got interested in a particular podcast voice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you're doing cool stuff like, I like your podcast and I like how you do, you know, we should mention for people that haven't checked it out. You're doing some interesting stuff like you did a podcast where you went on a date. Yeah, this was in the early days and I think some of me wants to kind of come back to that at some point, maybe mm. under a different podcast name. Mm. But I was doing stuff that was like quasi-reality TV yeah. on my podcast. Yeah. So episode, well, I had some f- silly episodes. So I had uh, episode number six, I went on a date with this girl who I met at a party. I uh, hadn't really talked to her at all. And I said, hey, listen, we should go on a date. Would you want to do it on my podcast? I said, they'll be, you know, recorded. You have to dress up nice. Three-course meal. Mm. We're going to film it. We're going to have wine. The whole shebang. A violinist. I had a violinist. Yeah. it was, <laughs> Dude, I spent so much money on that yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, That was crazy. So, so she comes on, doesn't know what to expect. But basically, um, I had two waiters, a violinist, uh, and a cameraman recording the whole thing two cameras set up and uh so so i arranged for the three-course meal we had oysters at the start and then the two waiters one would bring in the th- one would bring in the food one would bring in the wine we had two different types of wine but i made the wine like a goon box you yeah. know like the awful wines yeah, yeah and then i was just trying to make it somewhat ironic I had a violinist playing in the background who did it completely for free yeah um and then i had a main meal dessert and the violinist even did, did a bit of opera singing. He can sing opera. Mm. And it was just so goofy. It was yeah, so much yeah. fun. Um, and decided that we weren't good for each other uh, but <laughs> after the date. <laughs> but um, just very different people. But nonetheless, very fun episode. And then I did an episode. Man, it was fascinating because I, 
I listened to that first yeah. without watching the clip. Mm, so I how did it sound it was, listening to only? Was it kind of weird? It was very weird, but in I a good bet. way. I loved it. I mean, it really felt like, you know, and everyone's guilty of this, like, you know, if you do go out for dinner or something, mm-hmm. and you start to hear a bit of the conversation at the table next to you. Yeah, and you go, that's a great and point. And you go, shit, I, I shouldn't be eavesdropping, I'm not. But then they... <laughs> you keep hearing little bits and you go, well, that was quite funny. Jesus, I can't believe they said that. Yeah. It was kind of like an hour spent doing that. Yeah, I was walking around. Ta- interesting. I was walking around town as I often am when I'm listening to a podcast and my headphones. And so I had this surreal thing where I was walking around town listening to it going, uh-huh. I am eavesdropping <laughs> on, someone's, on someone's conversation. And yet then I had that, I would remember that, Actually, this is a very orchestrated date. Yeah. You know, this is a staged, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as natural as the conversation can be within within the within parameters. The confines of That's right. Structure. It's mm-hmm. still, you know, you have set this up. She was that, great, though. Yeah, she got so I, into it. Totally. Amazing. I thought you did really well, both of you, and, and you you did a good job of getting the right person mm-hmm. to handle that because it's a big ask. It's huge. You've also interviewed someone who's been completely naked. Yes, that's, that's the second most viewed episode. So I had... Uh, I wonder why. <laughs> I know. Dude, you go onto my... So you go onto YouTube and you go into search analytics and it's literally just like the top search queries, naked woman. Mm. Second one's naked interview. Third one's like nude interview. Fourth one's Gavin learns. It's just so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but it is... I think my average viewer age is like males, you know, between the age of like 18 to 24 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, Anyway, Kate came on and she runs this show called Naked Woman Reading, I yeah, believe. Yeah. Poetry thing. And uh, I was, you know, great. she's a great speaker. And so I wanted to have her on and I thought, well, if you do that show, she suggested it at first actually, you know, should I come on naked? And I was like, uh, absolutely you should. Um, then there's a suggestion of me coming on naked as well. I was like, I just can't do that. I can't do that. I can't. I'm not there. And uh, and she came on naked, and the conversation kind of formed, switched from traditional talking about the arts and more just about like her being comfortable with her body mm. or her as a human being and just being uh, yeah comfortable in her own skin. And it turned into a very interesting conversation. And it I kind of already knew this, but I think it re-emphasized that like. Nudity is such a taboo thing, but it's just yeah. so constructed. Yeah. Like, the moment you see someone's, like, boobs or ass or penis or vagina, you're just, like, after two minutes, you're like, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's why it's, like, you know, the idea of, like, uh, lingerie is more alluring, I think, at least for me, uh, than just seeing someone completely naked. Of course. You know? yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's once you remove there's it all. No, there's no power of suggestion. There's exactly. No, yeah. No, you know, there is no tease. Exactly. So once you see you're just like, oh, yeah. But okay. what what was great about that podcast was, um, which I mean you've really just sort of highlighted, but and hence the frustration I Didn't suppose. look at her boobs once, well, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I was freaking laser. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eyes. But you transcended the gimmick. Yes. If, you know, uh-huh. and then but unfortunately, it's the gimmick that gets the that views. That gets it back. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But it's interesting. Like, that... Translating the gimmick was 10 minutes. You know, 5, 10 minutes. You're just like, okay, mm. whatever. This is, like, this is nothing. But mm. I first experienced that when I was going to music festivals. And you just see people, like, walking around. Like, go to, I go to, like, kind of hippie ones. Mm. Uh, you just see people walking around naked. And you're first, you're like, oh! And after a while, you're like, oh, yeah, mm. I guess, you know. I mean, yeah, it's not weird at all, really. Mm. Mm. And it's just very interesting. But that was a great episode. I did one where I... Uh, gambled. I gambled like a hundred dollars mm. and mm. like lost like thirty or forty dollars of it. That was a bit silly, but I'm still trying to like experiment. I do like the idea 
of doing just wacky, crazy shit on the mm. podcast. Like, I want to, mm. I want to, uh, not like a sadistic way, but just as like a total gimmick thing. I want to have someone who wants to get waterboarded on the podcast. Wow. And I want to do that and then them talk about their experience right after it. I think that'd be very fascinating. Could you be hypnotized or something like that? I had a hypnotherapist yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And a part of me wanted to, but then at the yeah. other time I was like, this might just, she might be insulted. Can you yeah, hypnotize yeah. me right now? Huh? Yeah, yeah. I guess if you got the right person and the right consent you could get someone to be hypnotized and yes. be a guest and spe- you know speak through yeah the hypnotist to you and stuff but yeah. i want to do something with like um with like i want to have somebody who wants to i was thinking this would be really interesting having a shaman come on the podcast and then someone who wants to smoke dmt for the first time <laughs> and then like literally we talk through what's gonna happen you cut the video they smoke it and then after five minutes, because that's five to ten minutes, that's traditionally how long it takes, you come back on the video and they just talk through their experience. Yeah. Like right then. Because I think so much gets lost in the interlude. That's so going from Joe Rogan's podcast to Mike Tyson's podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, dude. I haven't listened to Mike Tyson's oh, podcast Hot, at all. Hotboxing with Mike Is it good? I don't know if good's the word. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's uh, an it's experience. He's not exactly a very prolific speaker. Either. No, it's an experience. Mm-hmm. I think you'd find it interesting, mm. at the least. I... I Zoned out after a few episodes, but I love trying things like that. Yeah, you know, for gotta, sure. You've got to sort of see what's up. And, and yeah, I mean, the the drug fixation that he has is interesting to, mm. to hear about and, and watch. And I read his autobiography. Yeah. Very fascinating. Just yeah. a story. Um, he's, a, he's a crazy, crazy cat. Like, one of the few people who've managed to, like survived this Me Too era mm. as well, coming out of, like, the allegations that he had. And then he's kind of transcended that. Thing. Yeah, it is strange that he, I guess, you know, not to defend him at all, but I guess he's been seen as being busted for what he did ahead of it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you'd have to wonder. He's fully trans... I guess, like, yeah. I mean, I, I guess the argument would be he's a totally different person. Now. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. totally... It's interesting watching this Marilyn Manson stuff unfold. What's happening? With, oh, I have no just, idea what's going on with that. He's sort of the new um, public enemy number one at the moment. Around, ah. Like his ex-partner, what's her name, Rachel Evan Wood, the actor, she's yeah. um, just sort of come out and publicly named him. I think it was an open secret for years. She had talked about uh, various abuses at the hands of of a person in her life so everyone knew it was Marilyn Manson uh, but she had not named him and so now she's named him and said you know there was you know grooming and and um, sort of abuse from him and then it's like led, physical abuse or yeah, uh, all sorts and uh-huh. so that's led to uh, other people coming out with their stories so he uh-huh. in the space of a day he was dropped by his label his manager of 25 years and wow. now there's a police investigation oh, wow. and you know, I mean I read his autobiography when that came out like 20 years ago or whenever and like the dude's a horrible fuck up and Is he? yeah so I mean I I read it because it was a thing that was being passed around not because I really was ever interested in his music but mm. I, I read it because it was kind of a cult book I guess yeah. for, for a very short time Mm-hmm. And the guy that ghost wrote it, Neil Strauss, is a um, a problematic character in himself. But it, he he does have a, uh, an accessible turn of phrase. He did pen a lot of books quickly that are very 
readable. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I've heard of it. I've heard, yeah, I've heard yeah, it before. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea about that one. I have to yeah. look that up. Yeah, um, it's interesting, but I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's basically not before time, but it's, 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 yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a wild one. I don't, yeah. I, you know, I can't even comment on that because I have no idea what the, yeah, yeah. what the context is, but yeah. Um, I mean, basically anyone getting there, um, uh, getting called out on bad behavior, uh, that's that is legitimately bad behavior it's a good thing mm-hmm. that's a really simple thing to say about it mm-hmm. but that's to me that's that's the obvious truth of the matter mm-hmm. and we're lucky that um, there are some tools available for people to do this now mm-hmm. in terms of social media and stuff and it's sad that it's taken so long for I guess particularly predominantly women to basically be taken seriously that's mm-hmm. what it comes down to mm-hmm. you know yeah but, but yeah beyond that it, to me it's a case-by-case thing and anyone coming to me asking for my opinion on it is there's so much nuance to each thing as well yeah you um, know and it's like uh, yeah i yeah 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 i i don't it's a very complex world in that sense where i just don't once again, that's one of those things I haven't fully been able to like break down mm. and you know really think about. Mm. But yeah, that's a that's a wild one. So, what's the the deepest, heaviest kind of territory you've got into with your podcast? Ah, uh, well, that would probably be an episode that I didn't release. Right, I can't really talk about that one. Okay, but um, <laughs> yeah, let me think. Um, after that, uh, I mean, I had a psychologist come on and he talked about like anxiety, depression. Mm. Um, I I, the deepest, heaviest one, if I look through it all, I can't really say. I can definitely tell you the one that I found most intriguing, which was the one that has just come out uh, yesterday, actually, that I recorded like three weeks ago, was a dating coach uh, who specialized in dating for Asian men, and he would help Asian men find dates. And... I came into the conversation thinking like, oh, sleazy, dating, picking up chicks and stuff like that. But the way that he framed it, and there's so many variabilities within that dating world as well. Like there are coaches or people who will tell you like, you know, how to, you know, trick woman to sleeping with you and stuff like that. But his approach to it was, I'm going to teach you how to approach women in a better way. And I think a lot of the confusion that guys have and a lot of the things that we deem as shitty behavior, which is shitty behavior. It comes from a place of a guy just not knowing, not knowing how to approach a woman because mm. there is no education around that. There's mm. no, especially if you're, I think as I get older, the more and more resistant I am towards single sex schools. I just don't think, I mean, I get like get grades for yeah, boys, but I'm like, I, yeah, okay, sure. On paper, they're doing better, but like socialization, it's just dumb. Well, I've got, a, I've got sense. a kid that's a f- just a, still a few years off high school, but mm-hmm. so it's a conversation that we're having and there's no way I, I, put my... I don't, I don't see the logic behind it. I there's mean, no I'm, I'm a product of a co-ed school, so I sort mm. of default See, to I that. went to a single sex school right. and I didn't know how to talk to girls till, yeah. till now. Like I swear yeah. to God, it's like 24. I didn't really know how to talk to yeah. girls. I just... Just you see them as other, you know, and so this guy was basically talking about how, um, listen, you know, wanting to talk to a girl and wanting to date a girl or hook up with a girl or hook up with somebody, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, but you just have to have a better way of approaching it. And I think if we can have some kind of education around that, all of this dicky behavior, like if a guy like is 
um, you know, attracted to a girl, mm. and he, you know, wants to ask her out, and he doesn't know how. He can just be like, hey, baby, you're hot, nice ass, you know? And that's just the fucking wrong way to go about it. But the intent might be just like, I want to take this girl out on a date, but he just doesn't know how to approach mm. that. Mm. And so this guy's argument was, well, let me teach you how to do that properly. He goes, I'm very upfront with girls. You know, I say, hey, listen, I think you're really cute. I'd love to take you out for a drink. And just as a very abbreviated example, but just being incredibly open, transparent, forward, nice, and honest is a much better way to go about things. And just to teach people that, I think, reduces a lot of the shitty behavior that, that we see, you know? Mm. I think when you're younger, like 18, 19... It's just like, you know, you're in a club, you're like, I don't know how to fucking talk to girls. Uh, she's right in front of me, she want to dance, hands on waist. Oh, that's just creepy. You know, mm -hmm. that's fucking creepy. You don't know that when you're younger, because you see in movies and rom-coms and all sorts of stuff where you're just like, I have no idea how to do this. I guess, you know, I see this guy in the club, and they look at each other, lock eyes, and they start dancing, you know? So that never freaking happens. Am, I mean, I'm just generally not too worried about age and aging, but I am so glad that I grew up in an era where there wasn't, you know, uh, online dating. Or pornography or... or yeah, I mean, or, well, what we mostly thank ourselves for is that there weren't really camera phones when we were at university. Mm -hmm. there were, you, you had a... Some people had cell phones and they... And they sometimes they could take photos of them, but yeah. they couldn't really put those photos anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But, so the idea of, you know capturing stuff we did on video mm -hmm. and i don't really mean in any hugely nefarious way i just mean dumb drunken stuff uh -huh. not not sort of suggesting anything dark yeah but sure. just you know just there's enough sort of i did enough stupidity you know stupid things in my life Fuck that i don't need you know actual permanent reminders of them so how people navigate through this stuff mm -hmm. is fascinating to me and we tend to get you know these horror stories only in the press and there are fucking awful ones mm -hmm. you know um, really awful ones about Tinder dates gone wrong and so forth and you always think like in a way where are the good stories there are there are so many you know mm -hmm. why you know obviously they're not newsworthy mm -hmm. but what is the outlet for the good stories the good stories yeah. and I think um, yeah yeah I don't really know I don't really know where the, I think they just don't get this but this is a human psychology thing that you touched on earlier around um, bombing and open mics mm. being the memorable thing mm -hmm. now I've written probably at a rough count 487,000 music reviews or something like that I would guess like Jesus, it, yeah. I don't know but it's you know it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands and I know that overwhelmingly I've written positive about the majority of acts, be it album or show. But if anyone ever asks, if anyone ever says anything to me about stuff I've written, it's always referencing something I've said that's savage. Yes. Or it's always with that knowledge. So, you know, last night they replayed a thing I did about the Carpenters on radio and I got quite a few messages from people saying how much they enjoyed it. But a couple of those messages were like, hey, I just heard you on the radio talking about the Carpenters. I was amazed you liked them because you're always so negative. Mm. So that's the framing, you know, like, and so like we... It leads, it leads, right? Yeah, totally, absolutely. But that, you know, there is a, you know, there is a book, well, there's probably several, but there's a book I've got um, about the psychology of bad reviews and why they are memorable to people. Mm -hmm. But it, it, those car crash moments, if it bleeds, it leads, that stuff is all through our psyche. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
and you know it's fascinating isn't it like yeah the, the, the bombing meant the bomb being the thing you know well, you know funniest time you know funniest time videos Versus which which, which, bas- and which basically yeah beget fail blogs and youtube yeah. stuff and it's just people falling over and hitting themselves in the mm. face with a rake right <laughs> and why is it funny because it's not you yeah that's the reason yeah <laughs> you know yeah it's, it's a really it's a it's a weird one i think it's really horrible if you drill down into it yeah it's really horrible well, i think where we lead with a lot of this stuff is like everybody like everyone makes mistakes at some point I think Mm. in their life and I think there's going to be a point where that's all on record for people yeah and then I think it's well, watch just... the watch the Tiger Woods documentary that's just come mm, out. What's that? Fucking amazing. I yeah. mean, you know, like it's got his whole life and story and downfall. Mm-hmm. World's most famous golfer, you know, black guy playing golf at a time when it's just not known. Obviously, um, over the top father pushing him into it. Mm-hmm. But it, there's footage of every component yeah. of his life and then obviously massive downfall with you know womanizing and mm-hmm. rah 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 and cheating on his partner and then the come back again the come back mm-hmm. but what made it a compelling documentary I mean, it's a three hour two part film what makes it amazing is you can see every single fucking part of it yeah everything there's you know they've even got and I mean he's a similar age to me so there's no not much in the way of camera phone footage and that, but there's footage of him as a teenager that they've shot on mm-hmm. whatever videotape it was mm-hmm. that's still around. And, and there's going to be more and more of and, that now And too. so that's it. Like, uh-huh. So someone, you know, your generation, someone make a documentary about you in 20 years' time, mm-hmm. everything you've ever done is, mm. is available, which yeah. is amazing, but it's fucking frightening, right? It like, is frightening. Uh, and I think, in terms of the bad stuff yeah, in, a, think, in a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there definitely will be a time where people become well, there was that, more there's that Netf- There's that Netflix... Social Dilemma? No, there's that Netflix movie. Well, I mean, that's great, but there's that Netflix doco about the um, dude that murdered his family. Ben Avery? Uh, and it's like um, American Neighborhood or something. American Neighbor or whatever. And it's... It's, um, you know, everything's there. It's all mm-hmm. her social media pages. Mm-hmm. All the video... Because she, the, the wife who died, um, you know, had like a kind of Facebook video blog thing running. Yeah. About her per- about her perfect idyllic life. Yeah. yeah so yeah. as you're watching, and you know, I'm not spoiling anything. Anyone going into this film knows that this tragedy happens as soon as they click play on it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's almost daunting seeing all this... Everything play out. Instantly available footage from just a few years ago. Yeah, and I do think we're going to get to a place where people are a bit more understanding, but I think, uh, and this is where I think, like, there does need to be a path of, like, retribution for a lot, for certain things, you mm, know, for people. Mm. Like, um, you know, I think if you, if you genuinely make mistakes in your life and they are genuine mistakes, there's definitely, like, a... a a place for people to be like, but the thing is, mob mentality is not really like that. You know, people just fucking, you know, yeah, just yeah, to yeah. get into it, man. The um, thing that's the thing that's perhaps important and hard to still get your head around is the fact that the internet and how it exists now is arguably still in its infancy. Oh hell yeah, man! <laughs> so, I'm, I'm so ready so to just get plugged into a computer, <laughs> you know, yeah. just go out. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's that's kind of crazy enough. Um, so you you what's the plan with the podcast? Carry it on. Yeah, man. So I'm really gonna keep going. I'm just keep going, going, going. I'm trying trying to get some some bigger guests. Yeah. I really want to get to a point where like it's just 
It's still in its infancy. You know, yeah. I, I am trying to get more of a following going for it. And how regular do you put them up? Once a week. It is once a week. It's okay. once a week I put up a new episode, and then yeah. I cut up all the videos up into clips, yeah. so you can yeah. watch those on YouTube as yeah. well. Um, Highlights. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I got highlight reel. Yeah. And a lot of it, a lot of editing goes into it. Yeah. Um, it's a big job. It's a lot. Yeah. But, so just keep going with the podcast. I want to get up, I really want to revisit things when I get to episode 50. I just want to see, yeah. Yeah. reevaluate where I sit, you know, and I'm just, I'm happy right now providing an opportunity for other people to kind of express their things you know mm-hmm. and to have those mm-hmm. interesting conversations i'm trying to swing away from like okay what are the metrics looking like today how you know what's my click-through rate ready ready, ready. how many views am i getting mm-hmm. um i'm just going to steer away from that yeah, I've, totally. I've kind of decided that over the you've got to look at that to begin with but mm-hmm. it's, you know, mm-hmm. if you fixate on that then you're you're in the wrong game really. exactly yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. so i think just keep growing it seeing what happens get some more interesting guests on and apart from plugging your shows and things on it and, mm. and and it being a an overall business card for you as a comedian has it impacted or filtered into your comedy work at all or do you, uh, do you consciously know you have to keep them separate no i don't think it's filtered into my comedy work i would love it to translate into an audience that comes yeah. to my comedy shows yeah. for yeah. sure yeah but um i think it's filtered into my ability to have conversations with people in general mm. you know i'm definitely more like I can ask better questions. I can carry conversations a lot easier. Mm. Uh, and also just like the people you meet. It's really interesting. You know, I've had quite a few connections just from it and just yeah. meeting people. And I'm sure you feel this as well. You know, you just meet people in interesting worlds. Yeah, totally. You know, you, and you become an awe of the fact that you were able to grab a few moments of their time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people I'm are more accessible than you think. That's the crazy thing. I interviewed a guy basically on his deathbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was a famous New Zealand writer and filmmaker, Peter Wells, and he was dying of cancer, and he had written a, essentially, a, a cancer diary, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful book. It was a, it was Facebook posts, and then a publisher asked for them to be put into a book, and it was released. Mm-hmm. And I had been messaging him about it because I loved it, and he had been writing back and forth. We'd been, you know, in a bit of a dialogue, and at one point he had made something of a recovery mm-hmm. was feeling much better and i had sort of said to him you know i'd love to chat to you really about the book and the facebook posts and the impact that they've had on people mm-hmm. um because it was just just it was just basically beautiful philosophy mm-hmm. um and of, of the human condition and he was really up for it and then he took something of a sort of turn and you know, his posts reflected that, and I messaged him and said, you know, I don't, I, I feel like I don't need to say this, but obviously I'm still coming up to Auckland, and I imagine, you know, I, I'm just intending to leave you to be, and he said, no, 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 I really want to meet, and I really want to do this, and I said, well, only if, you know, if you're into it, and we had a few conversations around that, and he said, oh, it's actually going to have to be, I really want to do it, but it's a day-to-day thing. I mm-hmm. wake up, and some days I don't feel as good as others. Can I message you? And so he messaged me on a day and said, oh, you know, let's do it today. Mm-hmm. And you flew up that day? I was, no, I was, I was up there for about two weeks. Ah, so, like, cool. when I was up there, it was it was sort of in the post that it may or may not happen. Yeah. I mean, it was a profound experience. It was, mm-hmm. it was you know, frankly, on one level, it was awful to be in a room with a guy who was so near to death, mm. so unwell, so physically unwell, with such a brilliant mind, and who had given a lot of great things to, to, to New Zealand, mm-hmm. 
as a really important um, gay activist and as a filmmaker and writer outside of that, but his sexuality was an important part of his story mm. in, a, in a time when, you know, a lot of people felt they had to be closeted, particularly in entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I had about 40 minutes with him. No, which, it's the other way around. Which, like you have to be. <laughs> which was, yeah, which was, um, you know, excruciatingly long in a way. Mm. And obviously tantalisingly too brief in other ways. And I walked out of there just absolutely smashed. Yeah. I just, and I don't think he was alive for much longer. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was two or three weeks. Wow. Maybe a month, and he and he died, and everyone, you know, and he was publicly mourned. Mm-hmm. And I had one of the last ever conversations, public conversations, that you know he did do a public talk after that somewhere, and I think he was maybe in better spirits that day than the day I I spoke to him. But I have this thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I I kind of can't believe that I have this thing, this this conversation with him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's good or not. I haven't listened to it back apart from when I edited it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I only you know, I knew not much needed to come out of it, so I only skim edited it because it was tough to listen to. But I just feel like what an honour to be led into that guy's life at, at one of the most, you know, vulnerable and fragile <laughs> you know yeah, near, it's a real treat. It's, a real it's, it's quite unreal that yeah. I, I quite often think about that and just go, well, how lucky am I? How lucky was I that he trusted me? Mm-hmm. And that people listened to it and got that whatever awkwardness there might have been, you know, in, in certain parts of it, there's some silence and there's some tough moments asking him to reflect on things. You know, it's quite an important document it all it lives mm, it, yeah. it lives and it's part of his legacy do you do you find like the idea of permanence really attracts you to this no i i mean it sounds like i would having just said that i do in that regard i think mm. that's a nice thing and i and i felt the same way i have felt the same way about a couple of other interviews i've done definitely you know when you get to someone that doesn't give interviews a lot mm. or that has something you know, you're one of the only people that got, you know, if you're just part of the junket and part of the circuit, well, big deal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, um, about four years ago or so, four or five years ago, I talked to Phil Judd, a New Zealand musician who lives in Australia, who doesn't give many interviews. And at that point, he hadn't given many. But, you know, he's written some of the most important... I mean, that's a painting of his there, that, that, right. paint, that painting at the top there. And it's an album cover for Split Ends, and he painted that. Uh-huh. And he's one of the, he could have been one of New Zealand's greatest known artists, mm. uh, and and in a way he is, but he also is one of our greatest songwriters. He's had an interesting life and a and a and a problematic life, and he doesn't give a lot of interviews. And I was in Melbourne, and I went to his house and interviewed him. Yeah. And a lot of people have listened to that, and a lot of people have gone, "Wow, it's just great to hear he's alive, and it's great to hear him." And mm-hmm. so permanence in that sense, absolutely, I'm thrilled that. You know, I get, I get nothing for that financially, and I never will, and mm-hmm. I don't need that. Um, it's 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 awesome to think that that's on the record and it's available. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know that... I, I feel like these things are, as, in a way, I feel like a lot of digital things are actually as... You know, I, I, I grew up as a writer putting things out in the newspaper and being told, you know, you're, you're creating tomorrow's fish and chip paper, which yeah. I knew. And I actually feel like, for, for all the notions of digital permanence... And the amount of space we take up in a person's mind, I'm still creating fish and chip paper. Mm-hmm. You know, this this 
this conversation we're having now. Oh, yeah. It yeah. only exists in the moment that we're having it, and it only exists in the moment when someone listens to it. Sure. And if they want to replay it or share it or talk, you know, if, if it affects Which someone... Which they in, should. <laughs> they should. If, if, if it affects someone on some level, that's amazing. Yeah. And they can't all be bangers, so they're not all going to affect people on that level. But if they do, that's awesome. But there's no guarantee. Sure. There's no guarantee anyone will ever even hear this. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I don't go into it with um, any feelings around the notion of permanence. That yeah. doesn't attract me at all. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, if it happens, and if you are made aware of it in the sense that someone finds it rewarding on some level and discovers it down the track, that's pretty cool. Definitely. And, you know, you'll your podcast is still new mm-hmm. so you'll have that you know you'll, I like the idea you'll have you'll have someone tell you in a year's time uh-huh. uh you know jeez I can't believe you actually went on a date with someone yeah. for a podcast yeah yeah that was funny to me that was <laughs> that was this that was <laughs> and you'll just go yeah fuck that was nuts I was insane yeah. I like I really like the idea of like creating a portfolio for like my kids to listen back to yeah definitely you know, like I don't really know anything about my granddad you know what I mean mm. uh, on my on my mom's side on my dad's side yes but like the idea of being able to look back it's like looking at old photos. And this is interesting thing. I am not one of those people who takes a million photos of everything on their phones. Because mm-hmm. I think the abundance of photos just makes it like, ugh, what are you doing? You know, there's just, there's no sense of scarcity in there. Yeah, My yeah. mom has boxes and boxes of photos that she's printed out. But I know there was a real effort that went behind printing those. And there's not that many of them out yeah, there. It's there's still finite, little... yeah. 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 But it's like, you know, somebody was saying, Norm, once again, Norm McDonald, probably one of my favorite comments, he was saying, you know, back in the day, you'd have somebody who'd show you like five photos when they were a kid. You know, in 10 years, it's going to be, you know, here's 50,000 photos of me at this festival. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. just overwhelming. And it loses its sense of like... Uh, coolness i think maybe it doesn't i don't know but i really like the act of like physically holding a picture and like looking at it like oh yeah cool cool. yeah yeah we gave our son a polaroid camera for christmas yeah. and it was you know he, we went went on some walks this summer and he took the polaroid and yeah. get to the top of the hill and take a photo and okay you might one might have his thumb over it or whatever sure. that becomes part of the story yeah like those mistakes uh-huh you know that again the fact with photographs that anyone can take a good photo now because they can digitally uh-huh. fix it uh-huh. on some level that they can apply filters and they can mm-hmm. cut. You know, I hate those cropped photos you see, you know, where you people have pulled. Curated to the maximum yeah. belt. You're like, you know, you, you're conveying exactly what people want to, to see about you. And I think that's like a good thing about, we were talking about this too, as far as editing your podcast. Yeah, and like, yeah. If you give like a guest discretion as to whether or not it gets released. Yeah. And you know, this one's going to be 17 minutes. You serious? Yeah. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> all right, cool. Just as long as it's just me talking about my podcast, that's yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> cut it all. Yeah, I've been doing this, the cutthroat <laughs> sign the whole time. Stop it, stop it. No, but I I think like that's important because it prevents people from like presenting themselves how they want to be seen and actually presenting themselves as they actually yeah, yeah. are. Yeah. You know, and I think Well that's the thing. When I first started editing the podcast, I realized the only things I wanted to take out really were when when I made mistakes. Yeah. And Uh because that's a natural thing. And, you know, like, I don't want to take out that I still can't remember that guy, Joe. Who cares? You know, like, I know I can look that up. Uh And I've given people enough information that they can look it up if they really want to. Yeah. Um, But early on, there would have been an urge. Fuck, I'll I'll just cut that out. And because that'll keep it cleaner. Uh Because then I'll look. But you never want to, you know, I know I'm not dumb, Mm -hmm. but I don't mind 
the moments when I am dumb because they're human. Yeah, once again, yeah. authenticity. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, that's the thing. So, like, and then at the same time, you still want to give everything a pass. You still want to check it out. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go, oh, well, that's good enough. Like, I, I won't listen to this. I'll just post this because we didn't do anything particularly wrong. Yeah. I still will listen through to this. Do you listen through the whole thing? Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much. That's I mean, good. pretty much. There's been a couple where... I have turned them around straight afterwards mm-hmm. for various reasons. Maybe, you know... Maybe Deadlines. A, yeah, maybe a deadline thing. Like, I got to interview Suzanne Vega, who's a famous musician who I love, and I couldn't believe I got to interview her. Yeah. And it made sense to put it out straight away because she'd already done her show and was leaving the country. Yeah, and if right. I, I saved that for a month, it's like, well, who, who really cares? She's been and gone. What mm-hmm. was special was I got to talk to her in the moment. So... I basically went home, and it was about a 30-minute conversation, 40-minute conversation, so I basically went home, made sure it had recorded, Yeah. clipped the awkward intro and outro out, mm-hmm. where we're sort of saying hello and goodbye, and posted it, you know, nice. the next day. So there are things like where it's like, I don't need to listen to all of that, that, mm-hmm. can, just, that can just live, I know. Yeah. yeah, but when you, quite often, like, probably a bit like you, I... I kind of bank these now, like mm-hmm. so. I like you know. I made this one we're doing. I may turn it around overnight, or I may not listen to it for three weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if I ha- if I don't listen to it for three weeks, I have to listen to the whole thing. Yeah. Of course, because mm-hmm. I've forgotten that. Yeah. Well, I think what do I do? I so right now I've released episode twenty eight, and I've got so I've got three more episodes to come out yeah. uh, before I'm out. Mm. But I like to do that just in case things go wrong. But if you totally. cancel on me, and you yeah. know I'll be going on tour soon. Soon. Uh, and so I won't be around my, you know, studio or the mic to record episodes. Yeah, yeah. So that just gives me... And I like the consistency. I've imposed, like, a deadline on myself once a week. And that's just been very totally. good for me. Totally, yeah, I'm really, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, just, yeah, that. I'm the same. Because if, if you let it slip and do it occasionally, then you'll think of any excuse that this week doesn't matter. Yeah. And then you, you know, you might only have a small audience of people listening, which I'm sure I do. I only have a small audience of dedicated people that actually do check this out when it when it pops up. Mm. And I just want it to be there for them. Yeah. Because they're making the effort. Yeah. So I should make the effort. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if I don't do it, I'll, I'll make that known. Does having know? sponsors make you feel more accountable as well? Nah, not really, because it's pretty low-key sponsorship. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I feel like I've, give them the plugs that they need and yeah, yeah, they've cool. been very good in understanding. I'm sure it could, you know, for other people, sure. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, it could be it could be much more of a, a grind and a bind, but, you know, it's a pretty... pretty Accountability simple, too. Pretty simple relationship, I think, mm. that, that, that we're both servicing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to... We should wrap this up. Do you want to plug anything you've got going on? You just mentioned going my, away yeah. to tour. So my podcast, um, Gavin Learns. Find that on YouTube mm. or any place you listen to podcasts. Uh, as far as shows that I have coming up, depending on when this comes out, but from the 22nd to the 30th of March, we're going to be going all across the South Island. So Nelson, Dunedin, Christchurch, Blenheim, Wanaka, uh, and that is it. Uh, and we're going to be doing shows across there. And you and I are going to be in a show together. That's right. Which are, we, is are we on the same night? We are. You the six? I think. Oh, uh, maybe I'm opening not. night. I think it's yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, I think it's the opening night. Yeah, Who are yeah. you going up against? I don't know. That's why I think it might be you. See, I'm anyway, with. No, I'm against Kate. I'm with <laughs> oh, Kate. Okay. Yeah, Kate. So we're doing yeah. a poetry slash comedy show. Show. It's a fringe festival show, and I think it's called Comedy versus Poetry Face Off. Face Off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It's three comics and three poets, essentially, doing their set doing a short 
set each so the poets will be reading poems the comedians will be doing comedy obviously mm. no one's trying to do what they can't do mm. but the poets are going to be doing humorous poems cool and the comedians are obviously hopefully going to be Straight telling stand-up. jokes and doing yeah. stand-up and the audience as i understand it is going to decide who's funnier on yeah. the night uh-huh. so that's the that's the thing right that's the goal and we may be in the in the same night anyway it's three different people each night yes correct and across four or five six nights. different people each night six, yeah, yeah six. sorry yeah yeah three of six. each mm-hmm. yeah, so three, three comics three poets yeah, yeah that's and good. i think uh, yeah i think by, i think by complete coincidence you and i are in the same night i think we are mm. That'd be cool if we were yeah because i haven't seen you do poetry yet yeah and i haven't seen you do comedy that's true actually you should come to our friend show yeah yeah no i will don't review it but yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the caveat that always happens with me with comedy you should come to my show please don't review it (laughs) (laughs) dang i thought i was being unique yeah but definitely come yeah Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much me i mean what else have i got that's yeah that's about it man i mean yeah that's Mm. me anyone who thinks they're interesting uh, and has a cool angle they want to bring to my podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, do you take like kind of, uh, you know, people uh, commissioning themselves? Yeah, and, dude, uh, definitely. People putting themselves forward? I love it. Like if I if I like the angle, like definitely. Or and commissioning a friend, you know, so, or so recommending a friend. Well, Kate yeah. recommended the guy who owns uh, Teatro Wines. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's going to come on and just talk about yeah. his business which i think is very oh yeah i've talked to him jules yeah yeah jules cool. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. nice at, guy because yeah he was at the show on um, that's right that we that's how at. i met him yeah yeah, uh-huh. yeah. No, so no. that's he's gonna come on cool. um yeah man just that's about it really awesome and that's me man hey that was another good chat i started a joke which started the whole world crying but i didn't That the joke was on me